0: Hey what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is a Q&A, questions and answer that uh, I will start to reintroduce. I've done a couple of these episodes before but I will start making them a regular feature, perhaps doing one per month or so as a uh, Tuesday, uh, sorry Thursday episode and uh, so yeah this is uh, this is a new thing definitely let me know what you think after you hear this and if you have questions for future Q&A episodes send them to me on michael at scientifictirathlon.com and that's michael with a k. Today we have two questions but before we get into them let's thank our sponsors. First we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com And you can go there and take a free online sweat test, which consists of just uh, nine or 10 questions that you take as a quiz. And they will help you figure out or they will help Precision Hydration figure out how much you sweat and how much sodium your sweat contains. And then they can come up with recommendations for how much sodium you should consume during training. And this hydration plan that you get, it works regardless of if you use Precision Hydration products or not so i recommend that even if you're not at all interested in buying precision hydration electrolytes you go and take their sweat test because it is very good and it is based on they have validated this quiz with real world sweat test data where they have uh, actually tested athletes with uh, with a medical device grade sweat test machine Anyway, that's on the PrecisionHydration.com. I'll link to it in the episode description as well. So go and take that sweat test. And if you do want to buy their uh, Precision Hydration's electrolytes products, use the promo code Show, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. And big thanks to Roka, that is the world's premium triathlon apparel brand. They have wetsuits, suits, and all likes like sunglasses, buoyancy shorts, etc., I was just watching the uh, the ITU Grand Final on the Gold Coast, uh, watching the the replay of the women's uh, race, and uh, Roka got a podium sweep i couldn't help but notice there with uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen this then mute me for 30 seconds or so but ashley gentle won the race vicky holland was second and uh, vicky took home the overall world triathlon series title for this year so big congratulations for that great achievement and uh, katie sephiris was third all of these ladies are roca athletes so uh, that goes to show you that Roka is what the world's best athletes are using. I should go back and watch the men's race again and see if the same was true on, on the men's side. I, I don't really know that, to be honest. I watched that yesterday or the replay of the race. Anyway, if you want to buy a wetsuit or a swim skin or something like that, then go to roka.com and use the promo code thatTraflonshow.com, all one word, all caps, and that will give you 20% of your entire order. So let's get into today's questions. And question one is from David Shields in the UK. It's about uh, consistency and uh, training stress score. David writes, Michael, one of the things that keeps cropping up in the podcasts is the subject of consistency. Does this mean that the TSS training stress score for each week should be relatively the same? Does it mean that the workouts should be on the same days each week? How does periodization fit in? How should TSS change throughout the season? So first, uh, a five-second, 10-second, no, give me 20, 20 20-second explanation about TSS. That's basically a score for how how much load your training has. So it takes into account both your duration of training and the intensity in relation to to your own functional thresholds. So one hour at your functional threshold power would be 100 training stress score and uh, one hour at uh, 50% would be something that is significantly smaller than that it's not 50 but I don't remember off the top of my head what it is but anyway that gives you an idea it's a way to measure training load uh, with which includes both volume and intensity which is very useful so I'll answer your questions David Uh, I'll bump a few of them together here so so i'll answer these ones first does this mean that uh, the training stress score for each week should be relatively the same how does periodization fit in and how should tss change throughout the season okay so this is a very interesting topic and if you are for example a training peaks user you have the training peaks premium account you're using their annual training planned uh, feature where they can actually give you based on training stress score tss how your training should develop across the season then you've seen all sorts of intricate patterns and uh, you've seen the same if you for example read the triathletes training bible which is a very popular book but i have to say that i don't really believe in those patterns basically what they are is like usually during three weeks you ramp up TSS and then you go down quite significantly the fourth week or it might be a ramp-, ramp up of two weeks and then go down the third week. The thing is that uh, as David alludes to in the question there is a big variation there uh, and that's not necessarily bad in, in this case if you can actually follow something like this but I think for most the problem would be that you wouldn't actually be able to follow those high TSS weeks because the difference between a standard week and those high TSS weeks would be very big. And you have to do one of those big ones every third or every fourth week. So so that's not ideal in my opinion. I don't really believe in that. I believe in a more even spread of TSS, but I still believe that those recovery weeks Or recovery periods should be there but that might not mean that uh, that you go down to 50 percent of the baseline tss for an entire week that might mean a few days where you do very little low intensity training and then that's it then you're fine to go back to your normal training so so to answer your question a bit further i do think that most age groupers could benefit from having a more consistent training stress score training load over the course of the entire year and uh, yes so a more even spread of TSS and uh, I think that what often happens for age groupers is that they have two long periods of complete stagnation or even detraining during the off season in some cases if this detraining goes on the same way year after year you will find that you start from the same starting point every year where you would really want to actually start from a higher fitness level every single year so not let yourself detrain that much and uh, that being said it doesn't mean that your training stress score shouldn't change for example if you're training for an ironman or or any key race really those last two to three months are going to be the most critical months of training which means usually the most training hours and therefore training stress score bumps up in that period and especially in the period between maybe two weeks out to six weeks out is where there can be uh, quite a significant peak. So so that's uh, to give you an idea. I, I do think that you should you should level it out across the year, but there will be periods as well where it is higher. And likewise, after your last key race, then definitely uh, feel free to take a season break of, of a couple of weeks and then get back into training with a slightly lighter training load. But then I think I think that you should quite soon actually get back to quite a normal training stress score range. And this is how you will be the most consistent and you will long-term develop the most. Uh, and also one thing that I wanted to add is that I wouldn't necessarily start from a TSS standpoint, or I wouldn't do that, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Uh, I believe in having some form of intensity in training throughout the year, essentially. So this means that training stress score correlates quite well with training volume. And uh, although a workout like 8 times 30 seconds all-out power sprints on the bike with 5 minutes recovery that I might give my athletes in the very early phases of training, it uh, doesn't look very different training stress score-wise from a steady ride of the same duration, granted. So so there is uh, a difference there. But or actually, what I meant to say is that that's something that you need to keep into account in your own head because TSS is not going to identify the stress that those 30-second sprints will have on your body. But they will have that. They will cause that stress. So so I wouldn't start from training stress score standpoint. I would use it as a tool uh, to, and from for your structured plan, which should be your starting point. and uh, And you can use TSS as one of the tools to manage that plan. And to make things a bit specific, I uh, dug up some data from one of the athletes that I coach, uh, Christian in Germany. Hi Chris, if you're listening. Uh, I picked your data because you're a very good example of consistency, I believe. So so kudos for that. Uh, i'm going to pick the eight weeks before his goal race the 70.3 worlds in south africa and that was uh, so that was actually from the week that i started coaching him so his average tss was 784 uh, and uh, plus minus 135 in standard deviation and the median was 752 so very close to the average which is in my opinion a very good sign of consistency for duration the average was 12 hours 5 minutes The standard deviation was 2 hours 45 minutes and the median was 11 hours. The smallest TSS in this range per week was 628. Again, consider that his average was 784, so quite close, not a big gap. And the lowest duration was 9 hours 9 minutes comparing to that 1205 average. And likewise, the largest values were 1104 TSS, and this was a vacation week in Austria with lots of time to train and lots of riding. And the hours for this week were 18 hours 55 minutes. So I know for a fact from knowing his training and seeing the big picture of it that this uh, this training period is uh, is a very good example of consistency. So this sort of variation over an eight week build is uh, is absolutely totally within the the range of consistency and uh, and i wanted to just basically calculate these standard deviations for myself as much as anything to to get a an idea of uh, what sort of standard deviations etc median to to average discrepancies we see when an athlete is consistent and then that can give some benchmark when when you look at your own training and this will give it to me as well in the future And the the second part of your question, does it mean that the workouts should be on the same days each week? Um, No, uh, I don't think you can be 100% consistent, have uh, like top marks for consistency without doing that. But I do think that there can be benefits to having that weekly routine. But this really depends on the individual and the circumstances. So uh, so if the rest of your life uh, does follow somewhat of a consistent weekly routine then uh, i would recommend that if possible following following a similar training routine each week Uh, but uh, if that's not possible if you need to adapt your training more around work and family then don't fret it there's no harm in that that's what you should do and it's not something that i would consider at all a lack of consistency having to move things around so hope that answers your question david Next one is from Philip in Germany. And he writes, uh, Dear Michael, thank you for providing so much useful information. Uh, Let's go to the question because this is a long email. Uh, Okay, so background. Male, 38 years old, two years in triathlon. Bike FTP around 290. Standalone 10K running personal best, 38 minutes, 30 seconds. 9 to 12 hours of training per week. So question number one, after reading your podcast, uh, Designing Interval Training, episode number 149, uh, a question that I frequently asked myself popped up again. During summer when it's hot outside and I do my three minute interval sessions with a target pace of three minutes, 40 seconds per kilometer, I notice that my heart rate is higher for a given pace than on other days with lower, te- lower temperature. That's of course normal. Same thing can happen when I'm fatigued, Uh, but uh, what is more appropriate on hot days in order to make those sessions as efficient as possible? Uh, In other words, hit the sweet spot between training effect and not being too fatigued the next few days. A, to run the intervals at a higher heart rate and and at target pace and being more fatigued. B, to run the intervals slower at a heart rate I would have on normal days. C, to reduce the number of intervals. D, to reduce the interval duration to 2.30 but keeping rest at 3 minutes. E, something else. So my recommendation here, this is a very good question by the way. I would try to do A if possible. So do the intervals as uh, prescribed, 3 minutes on, 3 minutes off, as which was your uh, what you typically do. And trying to hit that same target pace for that workout. Your heart rate will be higher, yes. And let's go into why my recommendation is this. The reason that your heart rate on hot days is higher is primarily that the heart needs to work harder to pump blood also to the skin to cool down your core temperature. But this means that... uh, It it doesn't mean that your your heart is pumping any more blood to your working muscles. So uh, to get the same amount of blood to your muscles and therefore the same amount of oxygen to your muscles you need to have that higher heart rate. If you try to run at the nor- your normal heart rate, you will actually get less oxygen to your muscles than normal. So you will be working at a lower VO2, so oxygen utilization, than normal. And since for these intervals to be beneficial, you want your VO2 to be at between 90 to 100% of VO2 max, then that's not something that you want to do you so you want to keep your pace the same because that means uh, assuming that your fitness level is roughly the same of course over time it will increase but uh, from uh, over a period of a month or so you can assume that uh, that that's uh, not something that you need to worry about so keep the same pace and that will mean that you're at the same level of vo2 which will give you those adaptations and on hot days due to the fact that you need more blood to go to the skin that means a higher heart rate and accept that but uh, if it becomes very difficult due to the heat then you might do something like reduce the interval time to two thirty, but keeping your rest at three hour uh, three, three minutes sorry not three hours so uh, so that's that's what i would recommend so still keeping that same intensity the same vo2 level so keeping that pace Also, you want to minimize the performance decline by, for example, uh, well, hydrating properly, for example, but also if you can, like bring bottles of iced water to the track and pour it over you between intervals. Wear a cap, uh, for example, uh, with ice in it, those sorts of things. So try to minimize the heat, the the decline, performance decline due to heat. And if it's way too hot to get a good workout in, then maybe you actually need to go to a well-air-conditioned gym and do it on the treadmill. Philip's second question is, I despise training ride sessions longer than two hours at lower intensities and therefore apply the trainer road half Ironman plan with medium time available at uh, an FTP of around 290 watts. Do you have any experience whether not having long sessions, say four hour a four-hour session once per week, has a substantially detrimental effect on my half Ironman performance? Would a long session every two weeks be sufficient to reap any additional benefits? Okay, so yeah, I definitely don't think that you need a four-hour ride once per week. Not even not even uh, every two weeks. And uh, especially at 290 watts FTP, where I guess that your bike split is around the 230 mark or, or maybe faster than that for half Ironman... Uh, it's, uh, it's not something because you're already, like when you hit that 230 mark, you have already done the, the race duration essentially. So I do think it's very useful to sprinkle in over-distance rides, like four hours, maybe even five hours sometime. A few times, let's say three to five times during the base phase of training. So perhaps one per four to six weeks until you're two months out from the race, at which point you will mostly be doing uh, more race duration, but also higher intensity, race intensity, or even higher rides. So so for example, for my more advanced athletes, which I would consider you with a 290-watt FTP for sure, the long rides for 70.3 training is typically around three hours, sometimes 2.5, sometimes 3.5, but uh, re- very rarely more than 3.5. Uh, especially not in the last eight weeks or so before the race but they do have intensity and uh, and that's what we build that's how we get in overload Uh, so still that three hours is a bit longer than the two hours that you uh, prescribe that you uh, describe but if you do that two hours as a trainer road workout I know as a user myself that uh, that probably corresponds to maybe two hours 45 outdoors so I don't think that you will have a detrimental effect from that, but I would say that riding at least at your race duration a couple of times uh, per month. So maybe using exchanging one, of those, one or two of those rides per month for going outdoors and doing two thirty to three hours with intensity, that that would be useful. And also in addition to the duration factor, I would factor in the the caloric uh, expenditure that you have during those rides. So you want to have a couple of uh, or several rides where you actually expend the same amount of calories that you expect to expend on race day and then trying to run off of that. This is also where you need to practice your race nutrition, of course. So so that probably means at least 2.5 hours, but probably three hours or so because you don't want to race in training. So do an all out 2.5 hour time trial in, in training usually. So Maybe you can do that. I'm not saying that it's a bad idea to do it once, but but it's not something that would be a regular uh, feature in your training. So so do that. Like try to try to get a couple of those in. But overall, I I think that you're fine on that trainer road plan, and uh, those indoor workouts are w- worth quite a lot. So no no worries at all from my side for what you're doing. Okay, last question from Philip. My run training involves 20 kilometer long slow running. Uh, 5.15 kilometer pace, 10 to 12 kilometer slow to moderate running, 5 minute pace per kilometer, and interval sessions, 3.40 kilometer pace. None of them are spent at the pace that I will apply during my half Ironman, which is roughly 4 minutes 30 per kilometer. From a physiological standpoint, do you believe it is important to have runs mimicking the half Ironman pace? Great question. Uh, It made me think. (laughs) From a physiological standpoint, I don't believe that we can say it's either important or unimportant. We really don't know, at least if we talk from a research scientific background. From an anecdotal standpoint, I do think that over the course of the whole training year, it is beneficial to have had periods where you focus on uh, on all different parts of the intensity spectrum. So all the way from your zone 5, 340 intervals, but also including that zone 3 half marathon or half Ironman marathon, half marathon in 70.3 racing. (laughs) I don't know what to call it. Uh, That sort of intensity. Uh, so, So having a period focusing on that, and that would usually, in my opinion, best be placed as the last focus period before your key, your goal race. Uh, so that is, uh, that is my opinion that over the whole year you want to include that but you don't necessarily have to have a lot of that. You, can, you don't need 12 weeks of like, race-specific training by, by no means. Especially like, the fitter you are the better the base the less specificity I think that you need to, to an extent. Uh, so, so for example you can do plenty with uh, 4 weeks of, uh, of very specific training. Like as a personal example, my whole summer has been preparing for the Finnish Olympic Distance National Championships. I did that on the 1st of September. And then that same evening, I signed up for Ironman 70.3 Qashqais here in Portugal. And uh, so I haven't done any specific training until September. And that race is on the 30th of September. So I have a four-week turnaround. But uh, I'm now two and a half weeks into that build and uh, yeah two and a half weeks so I have one and a half week left until the race and I already feel that the training I'm doing now I'm I'm really starting to to absorb it well and feel quite well prepared for that half Ironman because I have a really good base fitness so so I think that uh, you don't need to have necessarily a lot of it but I do think that it's valuable to have some of it. And I do think that uh, having that as the last block of training before your key race, that that would be my recommendation for where to place it. It's it's also important from a from psychological standpoint, just knowing that you can run off the bike at a certain pace. Also to practice race nutrition. I think this is uh, one of the key factors that you need to uh, need to figure out and that you need to factor in. Uh, but uh, other than that is there anything else i want to to comment on well race execution wise it is important to have uh, learned what it feels like to be familiar with the pacing etc what the effort should feel like so so that's another another thing this will help you to not go out too fast but not to sandbag the run either So so this is definitely, there are very important benefits to having that. And I think that you should have that to some extent, although, as I said, it doesn't have to be a lot. Uh, Physiologically, uh, coming back to that, I definitely don't think that this sort of training would increase your VO2 max. It might increase your thresholds, your anaerobic and aerobic, maybe more so the aerobic threshold. But uh, I don't know that it does, and uh, I definitely don't know that it does that any more efficiently than those faster intervals do, which is why you don't need to have a lot of this type of training necessarily. The one physiological parameter that I think is the most likely to benefit from this kind of training is your running economy at this specific pace and uh, around it, of course. I don't really know if there is any solid evidence for that uh, but uh, but this is just based on some other things that uh, come to mind that I can't quite articulate right now but but I think that there might be might be that benefit if anything like physiologically where this sort of training is uh, advantageous when you compare it to for example the faster intervals. Uh so so there but also consider one final I'm rambling a little bit now I realize but one final consideration here. With those types of VO2 max intervals, it has also been shown quite often that typically you start to stagnate and not see much more benefit after six to 10 weeks. It depends a lot on the individual. So, so definitely monitor that. And then maybe every, every eight weeks or so, you might ch- have to change up that, that running stimulus and uh, do another type of training. So that's another thing to, to factor in here. All right I hope this helps Philip and uh, that's it that was the second question these were two quite long questions but I hope that you've enjoyed it and found it useful. I have one thing that I want to announce a lot of you have already seen it if you're on the email newsletter or you like Scientific Triathlon on Facebook but that is that I have finally launched my strength training program on Training Peaks. I talked a lot about it in the strength training episodes that I've done especially episode 81 the triathletes strength training formula and how i use it with the athletes that i coach and i use it myself but i've it's gone through a couple of major iterations and uh, a lot of minor tweaks and uh, but now finally i have put it up for the public so it's available for purchase on training peaks for now and uh, it will be available later as pdf versions within a month or so and anybody who purchases through Training Peaks will also get those PDF versions for no extra cost when it's ready. By the way, but and and you can use this program with a free Training Peaks account. So uh, there's nothing stopping you from from buying them on Training Peaks, even if you want the PDF versions at a later point. But uh, yeah, so so when I first announced it on the newsletter and the Facebook page, I announced a launch promo of sixty percent off this program until Sunday the twenty third for all the followers and subscribers that I have but then I I realized that uh, that I didn't have I had already recorded episode 147 so the Monday's episode on the podcast so I wouldn't be able to announce it on on a Monday podcast episode until after the 23rd basically so the 24th so that means, obviously, this one comes out before the 23rd of uh, September. But uh, regardless, I've extended that uh, launch discount to the to Sunday, the 30th of September. So you can get 60% off, which brings it down from $49 to $19, I think, with the discount code LAUNCH, and that is all capital letters. And there's a link in the show notes and uh, or in the episode descriptions. Or you can just go to scientifictriathlon.com and from the training plans drop down menu, you just click strength training and you'll get right to that training plan. If you have any questions about it, you can email me. But uh, yeah, this is, uh, uh, I'm really proud of this work and uh, it's uh, been very well received so far. A lot of people have, have already already started using the program so i'm very happy with that and uh, if you want to do that definitely go ahead and get it now while it's uh, available for that 60 percent discount which is which is quite a good good launch discount i think all right so big thank you to our sponsors first we have roka that you can find on roka.com that's r-o-k-a.com that's where you should definitely go if you want to have a new wetsuit i was swimming yesterday in the pool in my maverick x wetsuit and uh, it was crazy when i push off the wall and uh, i glide through the water i feel like a spaceship almost uh, going through the atmosphere and, and exiting the atmosphere actually and being in this sort of state where, where everything just passes around me so quickly that i can barely perceive it so that's just how much i think of the roca wetsuits and for their other products i use their goggles their sunglasses. Their tri-suit, which I also think is one of those products where you put it on and uh, you go out and ride and you immediately, you can literally feel how much faster you go with the aerodynamics that that uh, tri-suit provides. So anyway, any shopping that you do on Roka, you can get 20% off your entire order when you use the discount code that triathlon show all one word, all caps. And uh, yeah, so uh, check it out on roca.com. And big thanks to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. If you want to learn more about hydration and electrolytes and why they matter and how they can make you a better triathlete or perform better in training and racing, I should say, then definitely check out their blog that's found under the Hydration Advice tab on their website. And if you want to try your first Precision Hydration box of electrolytes for free, you can do so. Just use the promo code show all one word, all caps, and you'll get that first box for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.